Welcome back to another episode of Sean Let's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed. And we're here bringing you baseball history. That's right. We're a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is out there on the mound throwing them. That's right. And uh, apparently uh, you got a curveball at the end for me here. Yes, you are behind the plate. Well, I am and ready I, to catch. Yeah. I don't know if it's a curveball at the end. Well, I don't know. We'll see. You we'll, said it'll be fun. Yeah. It'll yeah, be fun. Yeah, we'll try. It'll be a little Easter egg anyway. We'll, there there we go. We, we'll, uh, but uh, yeah, before we before I tell this story, get back out there on the mound, uh, we want to encourage the listeners to follow us on our social medias. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. I'm on Twitter at Ed's Do Baseball. I'm at Sean Do Baseball. And we also have a TikTok and a Instagram at Doing Baseball and at Doing Dot Baseball, respectively. That's right. And wherever you're listening, however you're listening, if you can give us a follow, give us a review, uh, much appreciated. We love doing this, and uh, we want people to hear it. And of course, thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Also, before we get going, Two Loons Brewing, Edzy. Summer's here. Summer's here, and I enjoy a beer on a hot summer's day as much as the next baseball fan. I don't think you do, but I do. <laughs> uh, and I'll have one once in a while. You, you will. Know? You will. Especially You'll... when I'm plugging our wonderful sponsor, Two Loons IPA. There we go. Well, <laughs> Two Loons Brewing, everybody, makes a fantastic IPA available at LCBOs. Also, uh, I'm sure they have a lot of fun stuff on the way. I'm hoping... They have some great news on the way, but you can find it at twolunesbrewing.com. And as always, drink responsibly and be of legal drinking yes, age. Yes, of course. Thank you. All right. All right. You ready to go? I'm ready to Maybe go. we get all the stuff out of the way? I think so. All right. Well, I'm ready to start here, Sean. Today, I'm going to tell you and the listeners a story from baseball history, which goes back to the early 20th century. Uh-huh. Okay. Just at the start. Just the start. At a time when an entertainer's greatest stage was, in fact, just that, a stage. Okay? Okay. You got yeah, I got it. Today, oh. I wish to tell you the tale of one of the greatest acts the game has ever seen. Mm. And on October 2nd, 1897, Bud Abbott is born. Ooh. Abbott was born in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And as you may have guessed by my illusion a second ago, Bud was born into a show business family. Ooh. What's his last name? Abbott. Bud Abbott. Bud Abbott. (laughs) I like Bud Abbott. Yeah. Uh, His father, Harry Abbott, was a concessionaire and forage agent for the Barnum and Bailey's Circus. A concessionaire, which I can kind of guess you worked some concessions. Yes. And a forager? A forage agent. For the Barnum and Bailey Circus, which, just a side note, it had not been yet purchased by the Ringling Brothers. Oh, okay. It should be 1907. But uh, his mother, Ray Fisher, was a beautiful woman of German descent who rode horses bareback in the circus. Ooh. I assume the horses were bareback. Okay, yeah, no saddle. Yeah. No saddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to clarify what you were talking about a second ago, I, I, from what I was able to gather, I believe a forage agent, if my research serves me correctly, uh-huh. is somebody who either keeps track of the collected 
grass and hay for the livestock of the of the circus yeah or maybe he goes out and checks the fields around for grazing i'm not yeah you know either way it's an animal he's making sure the animals eat exactly he's responsible for making sure the herd is fed so cool okay so his parents had four children yeah and bud was the third one born yep and when Bud was just a little toddler, his family relocated across the Hudson to the neighborhood of Harlem in New York City, uh-huh. and later to the Coney Island area of Brooklyn. Okay, Harry Abbott had brought his family to across the river to the big city because he had become an advance man for the Columbia Burlesque Wheel. There you go. The best wheel yeah. is the burlesque wheel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bet that was the, that, that had to be the phrase. <laughs> I can only assume. <laughs> I mean, it's genius. <laughs> the Columbia Amusement Company, also called the Columbia Wheel, or the Eastern Burlesque Wheel, produced burlesque shows in the United States between 1902 and 1927. For much of its history, the Columbia Wheel promoted relatively clean variety shows Uh featuring comedians and pretty girls okay but they were eventually beat out in the industry by a more risque competition people were like titties yeah exactly (laughs) like we want to see more leg (laughs) yeah at that point it's like knees 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 yeah exactly (laughs) during the summer months the burlesque wheel would go on a hiatus so harry would take a job down at coney island at Dreamland Park, mm-hmm. where his son would take a job after he dropped out of grammar school. Yeah. So he didn't go to school for very long. <laughs> he just goes, starts working at the amusement park. Well, he's on Coney Island, right? Or near Coney Island. Yeah, well, they're in Coney Island now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So we got Bud. He's a little kid, and he's working at the amusement park his old man works at. And when he became a teenager, he took a job as a cabin boy on a Norwegian steamer. Okay. But apparently he was later forced to shovel coal. Like, I don't know if the coalman, like the coal kid died and they were like, all right, send a cabin boy down there. I love that he was around. It's not that long ago and the job of cabin boy still existed. Maybe it still exists. It probably does. What do I know about boats? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so like I say, he was forced to shovel coal at some point. So he wanted off the ship. Mm-hmm. And he was able to work his way back to the United States after a year on the ship. <laughs> That's made so cool. Who My... knows how long he was a cabin boy before they were like, get to the coal furnace, bud. <laughs> Just yeah. 15 years old. Let me tell you about my year on a Norwegian steamer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> so after returning to America, Abbott began working in the box office of the Casino Theater in Brooklyn, which is one of the theaters on the burlesque wheel that his father, Harry, was employed by. Okay. So his dad probably he got him a got job. The job, got him right? a job, yeah. So, the next few years for Bud were spent in the box offices of burlesque houses, and he would eventually rise to the position of treasurer. He's in charge of the money of yeah, the burlesque houses. No good. Which had nothing wrong with the houses, by the way. <laughs> the houses are fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he does it. He, I love it. He dropped out of grammar school, but they're like, you can be the treasurer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're not good with your words, bud. But Maybe you good. are, but. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when he was 21 in 1918, Bud Abbott met Jenny Mae Pratt while working in Washington, D.C. Pratt was a burlesque dancer and comedian who performed under the stage name Betty Smith. Mm -hmm. 
They became a couple and married that year and remained together for 55 years until death did them part. Oh. They adopted two children, Bud Jr. in 1942 and Ray Victoria, also known as Vicky, in 1949. Ray Victoria. Okay, cool. Okay. Uh, Betty was a star performer and Bud ran the show behind the scenes. But eventually Bud would emerge from behind the curtain somewhat out of necessity he was the producer of a cut-rate vaudeville tab show entitled Broadway Flashes mm-hmm. in 1923, which toured on the Gus Sun circuit, which was a, like a smaller burlesque tour. No, it was no wheel. It was no wheel. Yeah. It was no it, wheel. Well, it was a smaller wheel. It was, <laughs> it was a training wheel. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a tab show, for those interested, was a lower-cost production which often only used the curtain and a few pieces of furniture in the settings. They were also considered a cleaner show again, mm-hmm. uh, being more related to the more comedic and less erotic forms of burlesque. Yes. So uh, the girls showed no leg. Yeah. In, <laughs> I guess. I don't they know. Had long, they were funny. The women were funny instead of sexy. or Well, they were sexy and funny. Yes. And, yeah. and by this time in 1923, the tab show was sometimes used as a as a way to avoid the negative or lowbrow stigma associated with true burlesque at uh, the time. Yeah. So like you could kind of be like, "Oh, I'm just going to a tab show." Mm-hmm. You know. It's not a, it's not a I'm not it's not a burlesque show. Yeah, it's just a tab it's just show. A tab. Yeah. So so I mentioned that there are these tab shows were of lower production and obviously then cost less money to make. And this seg- segues Abbott from behind the scenes to center stage because he began to perform as a straight man when he could no longer afford to pay one. Okay. And what a straight man he was. What a straight man he was. Right? Bud continued to produce and perform in burlesque shows on the mutual burlesque wheel, which had since replaced the Columbia wheel of his father's day. Mm-hmm. As his reputation grew and grew, he gained opportunities to work with veteran comedians such as Harry Stepp, and Harry Evanson. By the time the 1930s rolled around, Abbott was performing and producing for Minsky's burlesque shows in New York City when he first crossed paths with a rising comic named Lou Costello. I just fucking realized what... Wow. (laughs) Wow. You just realized what the story is. Yeah. Yeah. I was just... you, you were waiting. When's it going baseball? When's it going baseball? Oh my God! All right, so go. He, so he meets Lou Costello in the early thirties. Yep. And Lou Costello was born Louis Francis Cristillo. 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 Yes. On March 6, 1906, in Patterson, New Jersey, Louis or Lou was born to parents Helen Rage, or Rage. L-E-G-R-E-G-E. Yeah. An American woman of Italian, French, and Irish descent, and Sebastiano Cristillo, an Italian man from Caserta, who made his living as a silk weaver and insurance sales agent. So one like followed his dad's footsteps, and the other one went way off track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lou attended public school 15 in Patterson and was a gifted basketball player and apparently twice won the school's free throw competition. Nice. I won the school's free throw competition once. Wow. Yeah, I was I was on that day. I nice. you, had, you had to sink twenty free throws. This is yeah. a little nice little aside here. Yeah, of course. You yeah. Know? So I sunk fifteen. Wow. At at Nobleton. Okay. Right. 
And then I went to the area one, which is the next school over at St. Mary's. Okay. I don't think I sunk one. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't good at basketball. I just had a great day the day (laughs) that the free throw competition was. They were making banners. There were supporters there. (laughs) Yeah. At a booster club, they were disappointed. (laughs) I never said, we were in like the next school. Anyways, I'm like, I never got no fucking free throw competition. Yeah, you're tall as shit, too. No, yeah. Anyways, continue. So carrying on. He's good at basketball. He's good at basketball. And That's wins not free not, throw contest. Yeah, and we're not talking about that ever again. So, <laughs> in 1927, at the age of 21, Lou hit the road and hitchhiked to Hollywood to follow in the footsteps of one of his idols, Charlie Chaplin, to become an actor. Mm-hmm. It was then that he took on the professional name Costello, taking the name from another silent film star, Helene Costello. Oh, okay. It's like, sounds similar. <laughs> That's a story that he tells, apparently. But yeah. apparently, I was reading that his his older brother uh-huh. was already, like, working as a professional musician okay. and using the name Costello. Oh, so... so he, he probably just took it from his brother, but then... Also attributed it to yeah, that guy. Yeah. Woman. 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 Sorry. Helene. Uh, when he arrived out west, Lou had trouble finding work through though, and could only find a job as a laborer or extra at Metro-Goldwyn-Meyer and Hal Roach Studios. So he's, you know, he's there. He's getting his foot in the door, but he's not really finding the work he wants. Which is pretty cool that you could be watching a movie from, well, 1927 or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See Costello in the background. Yeah. If you, if you look up, like, you know, the, some, the films. full biographies yeah. of, like, these guys, there was a list of, like, some films that you'll just see, like, Lou Costello, like, sitting there in the corner. Yeah, drinking whatever. coffee. Coffee yeah. drinker. Oh, here we go. I got it written down right here. Occasionally, oh. he would get work as a stuntman because of his athletic abilities, most notably in the 1920 film The Trail of 98. And he was also an extra at ringside for The Battle of the Century, a Laurel and Hardy film from 1927. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, 1927, I was right on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, by 1928, the silent era was coming to an end with the advent of talking pictures. Talkies. And Lou Costello sees that there isn't much of a future for him unless he gets some acting chops. So, he heads back east to where the theater scene is so that he can get some experience. Cool. So he goes back home. Uh, But the poor guy gets stranded. Stranded? In Missouri. God damn, I feel for him. St. Joseph, Missouri, to be exact. So he's he's stranded up there in northwestern Missouri. Uh Uh-huh. Which is pretty, you know, there's not a lot going on up there. No. But he convinces a local burlesque producer Mm -hmm. to hire him as a comedian. Well, that's great. A Dutch comedian, specifically. It's, I'm, I'm the Dutch. <laughs> which, really, which really, at this time, means German. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Makes no sense. Makes no sense. I have no <laughs> idea what you're telling me. Apparently, okay. I'm trying to picture him do the show, and it just keeps changing. Yeah, I'm trying to clarify here. Apparently, he just basically talked in a German accent. Okay. Okay. Either way, he was able to make enough money to get himself back to New Jersey by the end of the year. <laughs> Still talking in the German accent when he gets home. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell happened to you out there? Did you get hit over the head? <laughs> <laughs> Following year, in 1929, Costello began working for the Mutual Burlesque Wheel. So what happened in March of 1929? 
the stock market crashed. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I was like, is it? Yeah, okay. Yep. Stock market crashed, and the mutual wheel dissolved, so Costello moved on to work for several other burlesque managers, such uh, one such impresario being the Minsky's. Classic. Where in 1930, he first crossed paths with Bud Abbott. Amazing. And then in 1935, they would get their first chance to work together when Lou's performing partner fell ill at a show at the El Tinge Theater, leaving Costello in need of a new straight man. Bud Abbott stepped in, and the chemistry was off the charts. Fucking A. They teamed, they teamed up officially in 1936 and performed together in what remained of the burlesque, minstrel, vaudeville, and stage shows. That is Okay, so 1936 is the official formation of Abbott and Costello. Amazing. All right. They continued to work together and hone their their crafted double act over the next couple of years when they were signed by the William Morris Talent Agency, who managed to get them appearances on the Kate Smith Radio Hour, where they eventually joined the cast in February of 1938. Uh, The Kate Smith Radio Hour was like a variety... Radio show hosted by this woman, Kate Smith, apparently was like the first woman of radio. Yeah. You know, she had like mass appeal and she was like a, like a songstress in the early days of recording and radio and stuff. Yeah. And she was so popular that they made her like a radio host. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it sounded odd, but yeah, there's a lot of women that led to Abbott and Costello. If Mm -hmm. you take it, look at, well, if you take Costello for his word as well about who inspired him. Right, right. Yeah. So on uh, March 24th, 1938, Abbott Costello performed for the first time before a national radio audience their now famous comedy routine, Who's On First? Who is on first? (laughs) They're not going to do the whole sketch right now. No. Uh, now I kind of know what you're going to ask me to try to do at the, the end The of premise of the sketch is that Costello, a big fan of the game of baseball, wants to know the names of the St. Louis baseball players so that when he goes to see a game for himself, he'll know who's playing there. <laughs> at least that's one of the setups that they do. They, they do several different setups well, over the, the time. Well, that's the cool but... thing is it's a live show, right? Mm-hmm. It's not... You know, I I mean, obviously, there's a recorded version of it that we probably know really well, but that was probably worked. Yeah, it was improv for years. So long before they got to that point. Yeah. Uh, So Abbott, in the bit, the manager of the St. Louis Club, explains the players to Costello. However, the players all have names that are grammatically confusing without (laughs) proper context. Hilarity ensues. Absolutely. Abbott attempts to explain that his infield is defended by a man named Who at first base, a man named What at second, and a man named I Don't Know at third. The shortstop's name is not revealed until the end, but the outfield has men named Because and Why, and the battery is made up of Tomorrow and Today. (laughs) Bud's explanations just piss Lou off and leave him more confused until Lou loses it and attempts to parody and make fun of Bud's explanation in what he thinks is just gibberish, but he accidentally gets it right. (laughs) At which point he exclaims to Abbott that he doesn't give a darn, to which Abbott quips to end the skit, oh, that's our shortstop. (laughs) So... 
to over explain the bit. Yeah, but, you know, know. I mean your 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 summary, thirty second summary of the bit was was yeah. pretty, pretty spot on. Don't give too much away, but yeah. you know, by the early nineteen thirties, the popularity of baseball in the United States made a baseball routine a standard bit for burlesque comics across the country. Who's on first came from turn of the century burlesque sketches that use plays on words and names. The roots of the sketch Abbott said can be traced back to an old vaudeville routine known as Watt Street, which is also known as Who's the Boss or uh, the Baker scene. And like the street's name is what? Yeah, Watt. Yeah. Person's name Watt is Street. Watt. Yeah. <laughs> and also to another sketch called Who Died. Oh. In which the shopkeep is named Who. Yeah. And I assume the shop is a dye shop, like, uh, like yeah, clothing yeah. or hair yeah, dye yeah, or whatever. I get it. Uh, Abbott and Costello performed Who's on First many times in their careers and hardly ever did it the same way twice. Wow. We alluded to. That's Second. pretty cool, though. Mm-hmm. That's... I mean, the basis of the bit is always the same. Well, exactly. You know, like the gut of it, but like the, the premise around it was yeah. often... Yeah. Improved. They know where they're going with it, yes. but it goes a little differently every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bit was uh, was very popular with uh, FDR. They did it for him a bunch of times. <laughs> He's just sitting there clapping. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> Do it again. Yeah. Uh, okay, Mr. Uh, President. Uh, who's on first? <laughs> In 1940, Universal signed the team for a film. It was called One Night in the Tropics, and even though they only had small roles, Abbott and Costello stole the film with several classic routines, including a shortened version of Who's on First, (laughs) which led to Universal signing them to a deal for two pictures. The first film, Buck Privates, was a huge hit and earned the duo a long-term contract with the studio. The director of Abbott and Costello's first five films, Arthur Lubin, said, quote, I don't think there has ever been a finer straight man in the business than Bud Abbott. Lou would go off the script because he was that clever with the lines, and Bud would bring him right back. End quote. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello were among the most popular and highest paid actors in the world during the days of World War II. Mm-hmm. Between 1940 and 1956, they made 36 films. 1940 and 1946? 1956. Oh, okay. I might have said 40, but I meant 56. Okay. So 16 years, they made 36 films. That's a lot Still of films. quite a bit. From 1951 through, or 41 through 51, they were consistently ranked in the top 10 box office stars and number one in 1942. Wow. They had their own self-titled radio program throughout the 40s. On NBC Radio from 1942 to 47, and then on ABC until 1949. During a summer tour in 1942, the comedic duo sold $85 million in war bonds in just 35 days. Wow. I know. That's a lot. That's a shit ton of war bonds. Good for them. Yeah. Sadly, in March 1943, after... Completing another tour of army bases, Costello got some rheumatic fever and had to go on the injured list for six months. And even sadlier, on November 4th, he returned to the radio show, but while rehearsing at their NBC studio, Costello received word 
that his infant son, Lou Jr., had accidentally drowned in the family pool. Jesus Christ, I'll allow the sadlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is sadlier. Yeah. Is that a word? No, though? I don't think so. But well, well, oh my God. I put God. it in there. It is sadlier. <laughs> it's in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, not to, you know, this is a dark time. Infant dies. Yeah, drowned Sad. in the family pool. Unnoticed by the nanny, the baby had worked loose the slats in his play plan, which was unnoticed. And the poor ba- the poor boy made his way outside and fell into the pool just two days shy of his first birthday. Oh, my God. Costello had asked his wife to keep their son up late to hear his father on the radio for the first time. Despite his grief, Lou decided not to cancel the broadcast. Jesus. Costello said, quote, wherever he is tonight, I want him to hear me. Oh. And carried on with the show. Oh. No one in the audience knew of the death until after the show. Maxine Andrews of the Andrews Sisters said that Costello changed after the loss of his son. Quote, he didn't seem as fun-loving and as warm. He seemed to anger easily. There was a difference in his attitude. Well... Yeah. Understandably. Understandably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a terrible thing to have to go through. Uh, so cracks began to appear in Abbott and Costello's relationship as their careers grew more successful. Their first disagreement was over a booking in a minstrel show at the Steel Pier in Atlantic City, New Jersey, back in 1936. Mm-hmm. So like early, early days. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Costello wanted to accept the gig... But it was outside their usual burlesque venues, which made Abbott more hesitant. Mm-hmm. Costello offered Abbott a larger split of their salary, which Abbott, of course, agreed. Yeah. Uh, it was these battles of ego and particularly the disputes of salary that became all the more commonplace in the Abbott and Costello camp over the next years. The strain probably wasn't helped either by Abbott's alcohol abuse. Ooh. He apparently, he used alcohol to stave off epileptic seizures that he had suffered from since about 1926. Okay. So he's just hammered all the time by the sounds of it. <laughs> Jesus. Or at least like. After the late, shows. He had a Leahy buzz going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. He's got, he's buzzing at all points. Yeah. So in their burlesque days, they had a 60-40 percentage split mm-hmm. in favor of Abbott. Oh. Because it was always the common view that the straight man was more valuable than the comedian. Who I, I guess they were considered like more replaceable. Sure. I, I'm guessing. I don't know. Like, I, the straight man kind of leads the routine most of the time, right? So I just figured that he would be doing more of the booking since he was more connected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's well, why. That's, that's what I thought you were going to tell me yeah. when you said that, that it was 60-40. No, no. <laughs> Not just some just, weird just, being like, yeah, well, well, that well, guy's serious, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> he deserves more money. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that was the logic, I guess. Uh, this was eventually renegotiated to 50-50, mm. but in 1941, after a year in Hollywood, Costello insisted on taking a 60% cut for himself, and he was successful in this financial endeavor. It remained a 60-40 split for the rest of their careers. Mm. Costello also, at this time in 1941, insisted that the team be renamed Costello and Abbott. That's stupid. Yes. Thankfully, Universal vetoed this notion as they had been promoting the act as Abbott and Costello for years at this point. That's the dumbest thing. 
It just doesn't ring the same. We should do this as Ed's and Sean's. Yeah, like that don't sound right. (laughs) We've had that argument, everybody. He's just joking it off. (laughs) It's a very contested subject. (laughs) (laughs) Costello took this to heart, and according to Lou's daughter, Chris Costello, in her biography, Lou's on first. Yeah. Abbott's top billing resulted in a, quote, permanent chill between the two partners. So he's 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 got 60-40, and he's still like, fucking Bud's name's a head of mine on the goddamn thing. thing. Son of a bitch. Yeah, so, I mean, he's, he's, he's had some shit go on. He, yeah, yeah, you know. he is, he's pissed. <laughs> yeah. So in mid-1945, the comedians stopped speaking to one another after Costello fired a maid. What? Yeah, Costello fired the maid, what? and then they stopped talking to each other. Why Why would that? Well, because Abbott figured he had no grievances with the maid, so he hired her. <laughs> that's like a sign. That's well, not a sign. I that's a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Which is like a comedic premise yeah. in itself. Yeah, you know? it's totally just like, what? They fired their maid? I like that maid. I'll take that maid. <laughs> yeah. like, you, you hired bastard. My, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> you got to fire my maid. Yeah. Apparently, Costello, like, warned him to not hire the maid for some reason. Mm-hmm. And Abbott was just like, whatever, I'm hiring the maid. And then <laughs> just, Costello was just extra did it to spite me. <laughs> yeah. He was right about it, too. Like, he's, yeah. she's the worst maid ever. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't give a fuck. 60-40, bro. <laughs> yeah. I'm keeping her. Keeping this maid. <laughs> so, Costello recalled the incident in 1958, explaining, quote, She went to work for Abbott. I explained to Bud why I let her go and asked him to fire her, but he wouldn't. End quote. (laughs) Costello refused to speak to Abbott except for times that they were working, and it seems as though even the times they worked together were somewhat against Costello's will because he claimed he would never work with Abbott again. (laughs) I'll never talk to you again. See you at work on Monday. (laughs) I'm never working with you again. Nonetheless, the two were still under contract to yeah, Universal. They're and, fucked. And it's a, there, there, there's, yeah. a, there's a clause there then. Similar to baseball. Yeah. So they had to complete two more films. Okay. And in 1946, they starred in both Little Giant and The Time of Their Lives. <laughs> and they hate each other. <laughs> yeah, it is not the time, not of, their the time of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> However, on screen, they didn't appear very much together and rarely spoke off screen. It seemed one of the great acts of the day were to be no more. Mm -hmm. But Bud wished to heal the friendship, though, and suggested that they name the foundation for sufferers of rheumatic fever to be that they started to be named the Lou Costello Jr. Youth Foundation. Okay, which of course was a very touching gesture. It's an olive branch, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, hey, the maid thing. I might have blown that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> how about, if I had known that that would be frowned upon, <laughs> how about we name the foundation after you? Yeah. Well, they named it after his son. Oh, yes. Yeah, in oh, memory the, of his son. Oh, the dead son. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. So okay, that yes. was touching to Lou, and it was an olive branch, and they basically made up. The foundation still exists in Los Angeles to this day. Oh, good for that. Yeah. So they make up, and as mentioned before, carry on their radio show on ABC from 47 to 49. And then in the 50s, they appear on the Colgate Comedy Hour and introduce their comedy to a live television audience and launched their own series, The Abbott and Costello Show, in 1952, 
which ran for two years until 1954. In 1956, a gold record of who's on first was placed in the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum in Cooperstown, New York, where there is also a video taken from their movie The Naughty 90s ah. that now plays on repeat around the museum, which we've seen. We have. We've yeah. been there. Yep. Yeah. By the mid-50s, Abbott and Costello were not a big box office draw anymore, though, and had been eclipsed by Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Yes, so two nobodies. Yeah, they couldn't come to an agreement with Universal regarding their next contract. Apparently, they demanded, like, a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah, well. They were like, well, you guys aren't selling, so no. No. We made up, though. I gave them the... <laughs> yeah, we're friends again. We're friends. The maid is... Just... <laughs> yeah, never mind. Don't, Don't worry about, about me. <laughs> the maid business has been sorted. <laughs> Uh, so, as I say, they weren't able to get a new contract, and they left the studio after 15 years of working together. In the early 50s, both men, who were notorious big spenders and gamblers, ran into troubles with the IRS, Ooh. which forced them to sell their homes and the rights to some of their films. Abbott and Costello's final film together, Dance With Me, Henry, in 1956, <laughs> was a flop. And got mixed reviews from critics. <laughs> and then Abbott and Costello formally dissolved their partnership amicably in early 1957. Ah. Uh, end of an era. Yeah. 1957. So 36 to 20 years. 20 21 years, years. 21 years. Yeah, somewhere yeah. in there. You know, made it, a lot of money in that time. Yeah. And they, uh, had who's a big on impact first? on culture. Well, know? that's what I mean. I'm glad, you know, yeah, it's, it was... Who's on first, man? Like, mm -hmm. that's literally one of the funny... Anyways, this, mm -hmm. this is, like, from childhood. That's, like, one of the first funny baseball things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that you hear about it. Yeah. Continues on here, though. But shortly after wrapping his only film after his partnership with Abbott ended, it was called the, quote, 30-foot Bride of Candy Rock. Classic. That's, <laughs> Classic film. That's, I had a film like that, yeah. called that, but they made me change it because of that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Costello suffered a heart attack. Oh. He was taken to Doctor's Hospital in Beverly Hills, where he sadly died on March 3rd, 1959, three days before his 53rd birthday. One account claims that his final words came after finishing a strawberry ice cream soda that he had ordered when he said that, quote, it was the best I ever tasted. <laughs> It's a good way to go out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the best I ever tasted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if that's exactly true. Apparently well, that maybe allegedly happened earlier in the afternoon. But anyway, that's a good way to go out. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> eulogizing him. Yeah. I'll always remember that soda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he doing what too. he loved. Drinking strawberries. Sodas. Ice cream sodas. Ice cream sodas. <laughs> Okay, so after a funeral mass at his Catholic parish, St. Francis de Sales in Sherman Oaks, Costello was interred at the Cavalry Cemetery in East Los Angeles on March 8th, 1959. In 1960, Abbott took on a new performing partner, Candy Candido, and they were received well, but Abbott gave it up, reminiscing that, quote, no one could ever live up to Lou. No. Abbott died of cancer at age 76 on April 24th, 1974, at his home in Woodland Hills, Los Angeles. 
He was cremated at Grandview Crematory in Glendale, California, and his ashes scattered in the Pacific Ocean three miles out from Santa Monica. Uh-huh. In 1999, Time named the routine best comedy sketch of the 20th century. An early radio recording from October 6, 1938 was placed in the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry in 2003. Mm-hmm. In 2005, the line, Who's On First, was included on the American Film Institute's list of 100 memorable movie quotations. Cool. And that, my friends, is the story of two men whose friendship went through the trials and tribulations of show business and survived. Mm -hmm. And how they met by chance. Yeah. Or worked together by chance. And gave us one of the greatest comedy routines in the history of entertainment and in the history of baseball. Oh my god. No, I uh didn't expect that. I should have uh I thought when I said Bud Abbott you would just like get it. No, but... no, I'm slow. Uh <laughs> I uh I didn't I as soon as you brought up Costello, I got it. But mm-hmm. I knew it was something to do with entertainment. I know there's some you know, I don't know, entertainment stories that are on the list that that yeah. No, that was great. Honestly, yeah. I remember there was uh family friends growing up and yeah, he it was his name was Christopher. It was like basically like a cousin, let's just say. Mm-hmm. It was probably like fourteen or thirteen. I was like eight or nine. And he showed me Abbott and Costello. It was the greatest fucking yeah. moment of my life. <laughs> I remember first seeing that bit on like my grandparents had this like VHS tape at the cottage that was like hundred greatest or like, you know, twenty greatest comedy moments bits from <laughs> whatever you know whatever years or whatever and that was one that was on there yeah no it's a it's it's fantastic and yeah i love the i don't know i love it i love that i love that bit and yeah now i'm gonna be watching abin costello later mm-hmm. you have to get a little youtube playlist going on so were you gonna try to get me to do the, the... that's what i was thinking about oh trying God, to get but, you to do but who am i well, we'll figure that out, but let's just wrap the show for now, and okay. then we'll uh, decide. We'll see. Maybe people will listen long enough after <laughs> the show ends. You might find an Easter egg somewhere. Oh, maybe. Okay. Until next time. Thank you. Well, first of all, thanks so much, Edzie. Thanks so much for listening. Give us a follow. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. I'm at Sean Do Baseball. I'm at Ed's Do Baseball. That's right. We're on TikTok and Instagram at, at Doing Baseball and at Doing Dot Baseball, respectively. That's right. Uh, two loons. Two loons is great. Everything else is great. Uh, baseball season, wonderful. Abin Costello. Until next time, I'm Sean and I'm Ed's, and we're bringing you the baseball history. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
All right, welcome back to Abbott and Costello do baseball. I'm Abbott. And I'm Costello. And we're doing baseball. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> so <dumb. laughs> well, Costello, I'm going to New York with you. You know, Bucky Harris, the Yankees manager, gave me a job as a coach for as long as you're on the team. Look, Abbott, if you're the coach, you must know all the players. I certainly do. Well, you know I've never met the guys, so you have to tell me their names, and then I'll know who's playing on the team. Oh, I'll tell you their names, but you know, it seems to me they give these ball players nowadays very peculiar names. You mean funny names? Yeah, strange names, pet names, like Dizzy Dean. His brother Daffy? Daffy Dean. His French cousin? French. French? Goof? Goofy? Goofy? Goofy Dean. Well, <laughs> let's see. We we have on the bags who's on first, what's on second, I don't know is on third. That's what I want to find out. I say who's on first, what's on second, I don't know is on third. Are you the manager? Yes. Are you going to be the coach too? Yes. And you don't know the fellow's name? Well, I should. Well, then who's on first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first baseman. Who? The guy... The guy playing... The guy... Who is on first? I'm asking you, who's on first? That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who? Yes. <sighs> Look, you got a first base. Certainly. Who's playing first? That's right. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. And I'm trying to find out the fella's name on first... When you pay him, the fella's name. Who? The guy that gets... You know, That's the, it. The money. He does, every dollar. Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Whose wife? Yes. What? I mean, what's wrong with... I mean... <laughs> no, I realized I fucked that up. It's your turn. What's wrong with that? Look, all I want to know is when you sign up a first baseman, how does he sign his name? Who? The guy. Who? How does he sign? That's how he signs Who? it. Yes. Okay. All I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base. No, what is on second base? I'm not asking who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, don't change the players around. I'm not changing nobody. Take it easy, buddy. Okay. I'm only asking you, who's the guy on first That's base? That's right. Okay. All right. What's the guy's name on first? No, what is on second? No, I'm asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. We're not talking about him. Now, how do I get on third base? Well, you mentioned his name. If I mentioned the third baseman's name, who did I say was playing third? No, who's playing first? What's on first? What's on second? I don't know. He's on third. <laughs> there you go. Back on third again. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> Would you just stay on third base and don't go off it? All right, what do you want to know? Now, who's playing third base? Why do you insist on putting who on third base? What am I putting on third? No, what is on second? You don't know who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. Third base. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you got an outfielder? Sure. The left fielder's name? Why? I just thought I'd ask you. Well, I just thought I'd tell you. <laughs> then tell me who's playing left field. Who's playing first? <laughs> I'm not. Stay it. Stay out of the infield. I want to know the guy's name in left field. No, what is on second? I'm not asking who's on second. Who's on first? Third base. <laughs> no, you're supposed to say I don't I know. I don't know. Third, Third base. <laughs> I just skipped a line. <laughs> What's the left fielder's name? Why? Because? Uh, because? 
<laughs> oh, he's a center fielder. <laughs> Look, you got a pitcher on the team, right? Sure. What's the pitcher's name? Tomorrow. You don't want to tell me today? I'm telling you now. Well, then go ahead. Tomorrow. What time? What time what? What time tomorrow you can tell me who's pitching? Now listen, who is not pitching? <laughs> I'll break your arm if you say who's on first. I want to know is the pitcher's name. What's on second? I don't know. Third base. <laughs> got a catcher? Certainly. What's the catcher's name? Today. Today and tomorrow's pitching? Now you've got it. All we've got <laughs> is a couple of days. All we got is a couple of days on the team. You know I'm a catcher, too. So they tell me. I get behind the plate and do some fancy catching. Tomorrow, tomorrow's pitching on my team, and a heavy hitter gets up. Now the heavy hitter bunts the ball. When he bunts the ball, me, being a good catcher, I'm going to throw the, the guy out at first base. So I pick up the ball, and I throw it to who? Now that's the first thing you've said right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's all you have to do. Is throw the ball to first base. Yes. Now who's got it? Naturally. Look, if I throw the ball to first base, someone's got to get it. Now, who has it? Naturally. Who? Naturally. Naturally? Naturally. So I pick up the ball and I throw it to naturally. No, you don't. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. That's different. That's what I said. You're not saying it. I throw the ball to naturally? You throw the ball to who? Naturally. That's it. That's what I said. You ask me. I throw the ball to who? Naturally. You ask me. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. That's it. <laughs> Same as you. Same as you. I throw the ball to who? Whoever it is drops the ball and the guy runs to second. Who picks up the ball and throws it to what? What throws it to I don't know. I don't know throws it back to tomorrow. Triple play. Another guy gets up and hits a long fly ball to because. Why? I don't know. He's on third and I don't give a damn. What? I said I don't give a damn. Oh, that's our shortstop. stop. <laughs>